Good to see everybody today. It's my honor and pleasure to introduce my oldest son. He is a man of God. He uh, is over the uh, works with the Rooted Discipleship Curriculum over at Mariner's Church. It's a church of about well, I think it got about ten people. No, it's about twelve thousand actually. And uh, so you know we're proud in a good way of him. He's taller than me now. He started blocking my shots in the backyard when he was about a senior in high school. So let's welcome JT John Thomas as he comes to minister. Yo, thank you. Good morning. How we doing, Heart of the Bay? What's happening, everybody? Come on, can I get an amen? Can I get a how you doing? All right, I told my buddy Caleb, if you're coming here this morning, that this is an easy place to lead worship. It's an easy place to preach because you guys are up for it, right? Yeah. We're up for it. I told him, hey, somebody want to take a glory lap at any point during the service? That's all good. We can go for it. Uh, but I'm so excited to be here this morning. You know it's a special morning when my dad has got the jacket off, he got the tie off, and you got two good-looking dudes with skinny jeans from Orange County here. It's like, what is going on this morning? Something's happening in here. Revival. Uh, I want to bring my buddy up here for a moment here. This is my, yeah, Caleb Clements. This, uh, this is a really good friend of Lindy and ours. We've been down there about 10 years and have known him for about that, that amount of time. Uh, as you can see, there's some similarities in stature and build in anointing and in gifting. He's been working on it a little bit harder. He actually gets up and runs every morning. I do it maybe one day a week because I'm easing into those things. You don't want to have a, you know, overdo anything in life. You want to just kind of take it easy. Uh, but we want to do a little contest this morning. Something that, oh, really? something that happens all the time at Mariners is Caleb's on the stage every weekend in front of 9,000 people or whatever. I get up every once in a while, do announcements or something. Uh, so quite often on the patio, I get the, hey, good job, Caleb. Good job leading worship. Because uh, he's my brother from another, another mother. I don't but get the good job, John. He doesn't get the good job, John, he said. That's funny how that's funny how that goes. Uh, I want to do a little who wore it better this morning. So uh, we've got similar jeans. Uh, he's got the better shoes now. I need a shoe shine. You bought those for me. I did. These are a rip off of him directly. Uh, but if you think Caleb's wearing it better this morning, give it a little applause. Seriously? Yeah. What? I don't even need this. And if this guy wore it better. Wow. They're just being kind. Yeah, they're just being nice. Just being nice to the guests this morning. Uh, that was fun. Uh, like I mentioned, we are so excited to, to be here. It's always a homecoming when we come here and we see so familiar faces of people that I've known my entire life. I was just talking to Pastor Nancy and just kind of the full circle of our daughters. Actually, our oldest daughter, Olivia, is going to be here next week and hanging out for VBS. So just the cool thing of... You know, Pastor Nancy taught me the Word of God, and now she's next week's going to get a chance to do that with our daughter and, and so many of you guys who we've known and loved uh, for so many years. It's just fantastic to be back. And uh, my wife and the two kids now, two kids, hello, uh, they'll be here a little bit after this service, and they'll be hanging out uh, for the 11 o'clock too. So we're just thrilled to be with you guys in what is Town now, right? The Bay Area, come on. I feel a bit like Jonah. As soon as we leave, everybody starts winning. It's crazy. Man, talk about the God of miracles. The Giants, three and five years. The Golden State Warriors. Oh, my Lord. Caleb's a massive Giants fan. We share that in common, but you can lay hands on him. He's actually a Port he's from Portland, so he's a Trailblazers fan of all things. There actually are Trailblazer fans. Can you believe it? There are a few of those. Uh, if we believe that God is the miraculous God, maybe he'll do something for the Raiders this year. How big is your faith? I don't know. We'll see what happens. I actually think that they'll be in the playoffs again before the Niners will. Anybody agree with me on that one? Hallelujah. We'll, see what, we'll see what happens. 
So here we are, uh, summer's tale, right? We're, we're here in July, a couple of things that happened in summer, family trips, family vacations, that's why we're here, that's why we were here actually a few weeks ago and got some other things planned. Uh, summer's also a season for graduation. Anybody got graduates in your house, people that have gone on college or high school? Um, I was reading about what is some of the gifts that are given to graduates, and actually the number one gift, one of the number one gifts, uh, is this book by Dr. Seuss called Oh, oh The Places You Will Go. Everybody remember that? that book? Yeah. Uh, what we do in our family is we have that book actually. And then every year when our daughter, daughters now graduate from a class who just went from kindergarten, preschool, preschool, kindergarten, now to first grade, uh, we give that book to the teacher and the teachers are able to write a little word of encouragement for her. Just something cool to look back on uh, 12 years down the road, just to see what was spoken over here by her teachers. Uh, and I was just looking at that book. It's an incredible book, and I want to read, begin this morning with a reading from Dr. Seuss. So this is not in your Bibles unless you've got a really funky Bible. It's not going to be in there. Uh, this is from Oh, the Places You'll Go. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction that you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be, you'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing the sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang as you soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Come on. That'll preach a little bit. Except... When you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang ups and hang ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in the prickly perch, and your gang will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in your slump, you're not much fun because unslumping yourself is not easily done. There's some truth in that. <laughs> There's some truth in that. You know, the plans that God has for us, the life experiences that all of us have in this room, I've found, and I'm sure that you have found, there is no such thing as the A to B linear plan. That actually God most often doesn't work that way. And the reality is, is life most often doesn't turn out that way. There's unexpected bumps along the way. There's things that we didn't plan for. There's things that happen in life, sickness, whatever the, the, the situations are that we didn't see coming. Those are the realities of life that we all deal with. I know that to be true in my own life. When Lindy and I, 10 years ago, actually almost 11 years ago, we felt God say, move down to Orange County and I want to show you what I want to do. We thought, yeah, okay, let, let's go for it. And that 10-year journey has been one of great joys and seeing God's faithfulness and seeing his provision, it's also been one of great times of confusion. Have you ever felt like that before, where you step out in obedience to what God is telling you to do? You're not even being disobedient. You're following after him. And then actually, things around you seem contrary to the will of God. Like, God, I thought if I step out, then provision, then blessing, then health, and all of these things were going to happen. And it's true, right? God has those things for us. He's a God who was faithful. He is a God who was with us to the end, no matter life circumstances. But if we're honest, sometimes it feels like actually he's not. And no, we don't base 
our situation on feelings, but our feelings are reality. The, what we experience in life is a reality, and, and it can be difficult to reconcile. God, if I do this, then why aren't you doing this? You know, when we read these incredible verses, like in Psalms 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of, his li- of their lives. Psalms, Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And in 32, 8 of Psalms, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. And we can say yes and amen to those verses. We know that is true. We know that we serve a God who is faithful, who is present in our time of need, who does not leave us or forsake us, who doesn't leave us as orphans. He's with us till the end of the age, and he will guide and direct our path. But if I'm being honest, just between you and I, we won't maybe tell us to the 11 o'clock service. I don't particularly always like the way that he leads. You know, we all have the smartphones now, don't we? And in our cars, we've got the GPS system, and and that's something that we have. It's a wonderful part of technology. Uh, But God actually, he's not a GPS God. It's not as simple as I'm going to drop the pin, or God, you're going to drop the pin, and now we're going to go. You know, we were driving this whole weekend in San Francisco. Talk about an exercise in faith and patience. Driving in the city of San Francisco can be a challenge. Uh, getting the Uber and all that kind of fun stuff and, and putting the address in, in, our, in our car and trying to figure out where, where we're going to go. And, and, you know, the backseat driving situation of you need to go this way, you need to, you need to go that way. And Siri's yelling at us and, and somebody else is yelling at us and telling us where to go. And, you know, I, I like the GPS because it's kind of a, an exercise where I'm, I'm let off the hook a little bit. Where I don't really have to figure out, I don't have to think, I don't have to use my own, own wisdom to some, to some extent. Wait till we have those auto-driving cars. That's going to be a trip, right? That'll be something else. But God isn't, isn't, isn't necessarily like that. Where we get the coordinates. Heary, heary, the Lord says, this time at this place. And then we just go and it's just this pleasant sort of path. If I'm honest, I actually want God to lead that way. And, and why do I want God to lead that way? Well, sometimes... It's because it, le- it lets me off the hook a little bit, right? It's, okay, God, you got to do it, and I'll just, you know, we'll just go and we'll, and we'll just do the thing. Because maybe sometimes I don't actually want the responsibility, and really that's not the way that God leads. And if it was the way that he leads, then why does he ask us time and time again to ask for wisdom? Ask for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, then, then go and it will it'll be given for you. It will be given to you. That God wants to give us wisdom to work in these situations. And so what I want us to look at today is consider that the greatest prayer, the number one thing that God would have us to know, is not the Jesus take the wheel prayer. It's a great song. My mom likes that song because that lady's from Oklahoma and she likes people from Oklahoma, so so that's a good thing. But what we want to look at is actually... It, that is true. We do pray for Jesus to take the will. We do pray for him to be, be faithful, to lead us and guide us. But that's not really the, the number one thing that he wants us to know. That actually there's a greater truth that he would have us know to become followers, to become disciples. Uh, so we're going to left. We're going to park here in a passage in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, they're on the screen. They're all over the place here too. I love this passage because this truth is here. And something that Jesus wanted his disciples to know. Mark 6, we're at this point where the disciples have journeyed with Jesus for a little bit. They've seen him do incredible, miraculous things. Heal the sick, 
teach with authority like nobody else has taught before in the kingdom of God. Redefine what it means to, to be a follower of God. Uh, he's seen crowds just follow Jesus by the thousands. And when they follow, he even fed them with a miraculous amount of things that he had that they didn't have. They fed from, uh, from miracles. He, they've even seen him calm a storm. I mean, that's pretty incredible, powerful, powerful stuff. But here's the deal. When Jesus does the stuff, and he does the stuff time and time again, it's actually not about the stuff. The stuff is, is blessing. That's fantastic. But the stuff that Jesus does, or that God does through Jesus, reveals more of who God is, which in turn reveals more of how we're intended to live and who we're supposed to be. That's why he does the stuff. It's not just for the stuff. It's so that God can actually show us who he is, so he can redefine our character. Because he wants us to be people that are on mission with him, that are living powerful, that are living uh, for him. So look at this passage, Mark six forty-five says this, immediately after this, Jesus insisted, insisted is strong language, you may come back to that, that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills uh, by himself to pray. So it says immediately after this. So what happened after this? If you turn back a chapter, you know that that's the miraculous. That's the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000, actually just men is what was recorded then. So we know that there's more. There's women, there's children. So we're talking about upwards of ten to 15,000 people that were fed with what? Who knows their Bible? Come on. How many loaves? How many? Five loaves and two fish. He fed 5,000 people with that. And actually, Jesus turned to his disciples and they came to him and said, Lord, what are we going to do? It's getting dark. There's all these people around there. We're in isolation. It's going to be a long journey back to their villages. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, you feed them. Isn't that incredible? You feed them. You can imagine the conversations and the questions. Well, Jesus, there's 15,000 people here. This is all we have. This looks like an impossible task. And Jesus says, don't worry about it, boys. You feed them. You step out in faith and you step out in obedience. And you could imagine that as the, the multiplication of the food, that, 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 that happens, that uh, the crowds of people, they would have been beyond thankful, right? Yeah. To be sat there and see this miracle happening before them. You think there are some grateful people in that crowd to not have to journey back 15 more miles to get home but actually to be fed there? And I know what I would be doing maybe if I was in that crowd, the disciples that Jesus is using to feed this crowd. Imagine the grateful people. I would be sure to st stick around a little bit, to shake some hands and to you know, receive the praise and the adoration. I might even take up an offering in that moment because look what the Lord has done, right? You know, I could just see Peter talking to John. Was that you? I don't know what happened, but this is awesome. Let's just go for it. Let's, let's, uh, let's shake some hands. Let's kiss some babies. This is our moment. We just fed 15,000 people. Thank you, Lord. Lord, right? And I love those moments when God uses us, when he does miraculous things. Maybe they would have been taking selfies, you know, and, and posting it, and hashtag miracle or whatever it is. Uh, we probably would even write a book about it, how I fed 15,000 people, or, or, you know, build a ministry off of that and stick around of what was happening. But what does Jesus do instead? He insists that they get in the boat and across the other side. That insist isn't like a gentle Don, let me just take your hand and just guide you over to the boat real quick. It's more like a, come on, let's get in that boat, boys. I can't lift you because you are massive. You are, you are a rock, rock of a man. Uh, 
It's actually more of an insisted, like he almost physically picked them up and said, we're going to the other side, boys. Get in the boat. Don't worry about the crowds. Don't worry about those that are coming for you with their gratitude and maybe want to put you on this pedestal. Don't worry about that. I want you to go into the boat and cross the other side. Well, hang on, Jesus. I'm not done taking the pictures. I'm not done shaking the hands. I'm not done writing the book. And then what happens next? Verse 47. Late that night. The disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble. Oh, Lord. Serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And it was about three o'clock in the morning. A couple of observations here. A text tells us that they were in the middle of the lake. This lake is the Dead Sea, or we know it as the Sea of Galilee. This lake is is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide across the point where they would have crossed. 8 miles where they would have crossed. Uh, This lake is 700, 680 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Then and now. It's surrounded by mountains and hills. So you've got this combination of the lowest freshwater lake in the world surrounded by mountains and hills where the winds would just whip down these mountains and they'd come and they would collide upon this lake causing storms and waves and in this moment there's like this perfect storm and the disciples are caught in the very middle of the lake and it tells us they're caught in the middle of the lake about three in the morning Remember, it tells us that they left late at night. So we know, looking at some other passages, that's actually somewhere between 8 or maybe even towards 10 o'clock at night. In the middle of the night, they left. And here they are in the middle of the night, from 8 o'clock to 3 in the morning, in the middle of the lake, which means, I'm not too great at math, my wife's an accountant, she can verify this later, which means six hours they would have been struggling. And you know how many miles they have gone? Four. <laughs> Six miles of struggling and of working and of rowing and of physically just demanding, trying to get to the other side, trying to do the thing, hello, that Jesus instructed them to do. (laughs) That's kind of interesting, huh? Six hours, four miles. Just a little bit of perspective for you. Anybody know how many miles it is from the coast of San Francisco to Alcatraz? Uh, I'd like to say that's correct because you're my dad, but it's, in, it's incorrect. <laughs> but thank you, thank you for that guess. The only way I know is I, I did what we all do. I went on Wikipedia and I found out that there's actually there's this, the Alcatraz Shark Fest swim. Has anybody heard of this? It's happening in a couple of weeks. If you want to go for it, you go for it. We'll pray for you afterwards. They call it Shark Fest swim for a reason. Um, that actually, the miles, is, it's 1.5 miles from the coast of where you swim, of San Francisco to Alcatraz Island. 1.5 miles. Uh, So both ways swimming, that's three miles. Uh, And they say that you should be able, depending on your fitness, this would take me longer, you could actually swim that in one hour. So you can get back, uh, well, if you don't get bit by a shark or if you have hypothermia. So there's a couple of things that might be be against you. Uh, You could do both ways, three miles in 2.5 hours. Three miles of swimming in 2.5 miles. Uh, there's this other swim competition that happens in the Bay Area. It's the bridge-to-bridge swimming competition. Anybody heard of that one? This is where you actually swim from the Bay Bridge all the way down to uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a 10K. It's a six-mile swim. And the record last year uh, was one hour and nine minutes. That's six miles, one hour and nine minutes. I have a friend who could row from... Uh, 
the coast of uh, Southern California out to Catalina Island, which is uh, 22 miles, 22 miles there, and he can do it in three hours. Uh, granted, his name is Vladimir, and he's this big Ukrainian guy, and he's, he's buff, but he, he, he can do it. But are we getting maybe the picture here of, of what's going on? Six hours of struggling, the middle of the lake, four miles with four more to go. They're not even there yet. Can you imagine their conversations that are happening in that boat? You know, maybe John turns to Peter. Oh, because John's the loving one, right? John's the loving one. That's who I am. I'm just full of love and grace. You imagine in that moment, oh, Jesus. He's such a funny guy, isn't he? It's, he's, I know he's, just, he's teaching us something. He's showing us something. He's just, he's, just, he's just so great. And look, I can actually see he's up there. He's on the mountain praying. You know, I see him up there. And he's put us here. And isn't he just wonderful? Isn't he just, just you know, we're just here in this storm. or sweating. We're wet. Actually, I don't think that would be the conversation. How do I know that? Because the disciples, guys, they're just like us. You know, we tend to think that they're, you know, everybody we read in Scripture is a superhero person. Uh, but when we read the Scripture, we need to know that they're just as smart as us, and they're actually, they're a lot like us. So I know, if I'm being honest, and I'll be honest, if I'm in that boat, that's not my conversation right here. <laughs> Jesus, what in the world? What in the world? You're up there praying, don't you see us here that we're suffering? That we've been rowing hard for six hours, we've only gone four miles you know, what is the deal? Remember just a few short hours ago, you used us to do miraculous things? Like, we're on the way up with you. Like, life has got this trajectory. Like, things are going to be awesome. Things are going to be great. And then, no, you put us in this boat, and are you kidding me here? Is this what you have for us? Is this what you really have for us? And here's, here's the truth. I've seen God do amazing things. I know that many of you have seen God do amazing things. If we were to pass the microphone and, and have a testimony Sunday, one of my favorite things we used to do, testimony time, come on, that we would not have enough time to capture all the stories of the ways that God has been faithful to us. That we would ha not have enough time to, to, to fill this place with praises for, for what God has done in and through us, for how he's even used us to bless and to restore and to redeem others. But here's the truth, you guys. Here is the truth. Whether Jesus is using us to do the miraculous, to feed thousands of people, whether he's using us to do incredible things, whether life is fantastic and everything's great, or whether you're in the middle, even in this very moment, of a storm that seems overwhelming. Yeah. Or whether you look back at your life, at the storms that you've been through, and you wonder, God, where were you in that? Is there any redemption in my story? That God is still God, and that God is still good. That he sees us, that he knows us, that he loves us, and that he actually redeems all things whether blessed, whether in times of need, whether well-fed or hungry, whatever the situation, God is with us. God is with you. Do you believe that today? That he restores. That he is a redemptive savior. I think about Mark's gospel, this book that would have been read to this church in Rome, you know, the original audience of, of this passage, right? Because the passage is for us, but actually it was for an intended audience at first. And, and there's this church in Rome, and you know what they're doing as they're reading this passage? They're being persecuted. 
Family members are being stripped out of the house. People are being executed for faith. People are being imprisoned. There's severe persecution that's going on to this church. And knowing that, can you imagine how they read this passage? Jesus, God, like we're doing what we're supposed to do. You said build your church. We're here. We're doing that. But even in our obedience, it seems like we're overwhelmed, like the situation is impossible. What are we going to do? But they could take hope because that was not the end of the story. See, your pain, your suffering, your past does not define you. It is not the end of the story. It is not your story. Your story is one of grace. Your story is one of a God who doesn't sit back from afar who actually enters into your storm, who enters into your chaos and to your mess to save, to rescue, and to heal. Because look at what he does. This is what our Savior does in verse 48. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror. (laughs) That's an appropriate A reaction. I don't think they had seen that up to this point. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're in the storm. They're arguing with each other. And and here he comes and they cry out in terror because they thought that he was a ghost. Sometimes in the middle of pain and and the things that are going wrong, we actually can't acknowledge or believe that even Jesus is there. And when he comes, it's like, ah, really? What's going on right now? This doesn't compute. This doesn't make sense. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and he said this. Do not be afraid. Let's say that together. Do not be afraid. Take courage, for I am here. And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. And in one of the most understated verses of the, of the New Testament, they were totally amazed. Totally amazed. God doesn't leave us in isolation. God comes to visit us in our time of need. And he tells us, do not be afraid. Why? Because, hey, you can figure this out on your own because it's going to be okay and, you know, I'm going to, everything's going to be great. No, because I am with you. I am with you. See, the number one thing I believe that God would have us know is not the Jesus take the wheel prayer, but it's actually do not be afraid because I am with you. Isaiah 41.10, if you believe it, you might want to say, say something. Because I told my friends that this is a talky church. We talk back in this church. We don't just sit and listen. We receive and we respond. Listen to this. Uh-oh. Was that too much? I don't know. It's been a while. I get excited. Isaiah 41.10 says this. Do not be afraid. Well, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I said, I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. It's not some weak hand. It's not some hand that's not mighty to save. It's not something that we're hoping and we're praying, oh, I really hope this works. No, we are told that I will save you. I will uphold you. That no matter our situation, that God redeems all things. You are not defined by your situation. You're not defined by your hurt. You're not defined by your past. You're defined by the strength of our Savior who's actually in and with you. In and with you all times. Uh, In the book of John, we get this great picture of Jesus again talking to the disciples. And he's talking over and over again about, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to go prepare a place. Uh, Where I'm going, you cannot go. And they don't really get it. And finally, at one point, I believe it's Thomas, just says, 
Thomas is a little slow. That's my second name, so I'm love, but I'm a little slow. I don't know how that worked out. He says, Lord, we don't get it. We have no idea where you're going. Like, we do not understand. Like, why would you even leave? Like, this, that's not a part of the program. You're the Messiah to be here with us, to conquer, to establish this new state. What is happening? And Jesus says, don't worry, boys. Don't worry, because I will not leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. And he says this incredible truth. Like, I don't know if we actually really understand this. I don't think I actually do. He says this. Guys, it's better that I go away. <laughs> it's better that I go away. You know why? Because then the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will come and be with you and in you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides us. He comforts us. He counsels us. He reminds us everything that Jesus said. When you have moments where I don't understand what's going on, what is our prayer? Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, I don't understand. Lead me and guide me. And the promise is that He, the Holy Spirit, that He will guide, that He will lead you, that He will comfort you, that He will be with you. And then Jesus says something even more astonishing. When I go, you will go and you will do greater things because my Spirit is within you. Jesus was contained. He was man, but He was God. His ministry was contained to about a 50-mile radius, maybe a bit more than that. But he says, now that my spirit is with you, you will go to the ends of the earth. And the things that you will do will be greater in scope. They'll be greater in reach because it's not defined by time and space. Wherever my believers are, my spirit is there with them. My spirit is there with them. The number one thing that God wants us to know, the number one thing he wants us to live is fear not, for I am with you. Think about that. How would you live differently if you knew that God was really with you? I mean, really knew. Not just as some conceptual understanding of, yes, I believe that, but to really acknowledge that God's presence, the Savior of the world, is with you at all times. How would you live differently? What difference would it make even in your current situation? How you view your past, your present, and your future? How would that change how you serve those around you? I love yesterday seeing that in San Francisco, the way that we served with fearless abandon in one of the darkest places of not just our state, but of our nation. And why were we there? Because the hope of glory, Christ in us, right? The hope of glory, Christ in us was with us. How would that change the way that we serve others? The way that we see our situations, the way that we see and tell our stories. So what does this teach us? All these things. Because all good sermons have three points. I think my dad taught me that at some point. <laughs> the first is that storms are unavoidable. They're a reality of life. <laughs> Bang-ups and hang-ups will happen to us. We'll be stuck in a lurch. That's the reality of what happens. Sometimes that's because of the bad of somebody else. Sometimes it's our bad. Sometimes life is just bad and, and things just happen. But it's a reality. And when that happens, it's not a, what did I do wrong? Or what, what, you know, sometimes that might be the case, hello. But, but, but it's not that, that actually storms are unavoidable. The second thing is that we cannot make it in our own strength. That's not the point of the storm. If that was the point of the storm, then the conclusion would be something different than seeing God as our redemptive Savior. We're in these things, and we can't get out of them by ourselves. And thirdly, in our darkest hour, Christ sees us, and he is able to rescue, and he is able to save us. That's right. yeah. He's able to save us. A few, uh, maybe about a month ago, I was with our oldest daughter, Olivia, who is now six years old. It was after our our little baby Lucy was born. Uh, and there's that thing that happens when the new baby comes onto the scene 
Uh, my older daughter was feeling slightly like, Daddy, where are you? We also got this new puppy whose name is Buster Posey, by the way. He's a champion dog. He's great. Caleb has a dog whose name is Clark, full name Will Clark. So there's that. He's a good man. Um, and so I can see that she was feeling a bit like, Daddy, are we going to hang out? What's going on? So uh, I did what you do when you live down, down in Orange County. I decided, okay, well, it's going to be you and I. We're going to have a Disneyland day. Just you and I. We're going to brave that together. And I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. We were standing in line for Finding Nemo. And if nothing else expresses how much my, I love my daughter is that I'm standing in line for Finding Nemo. <laughs> Worst ride in the park. <laughs> Confined space, not built for six, three, six, four people. Got to sit next to all these, you know, smells and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> So we're standing in line for what felt like three hours, and out of nowhere, she tugs the back of my shirt. And it was one of those like authoritative kind of tugs, like, who just touched me? The power just went out for me. What just happened? <laughs> and I, I turned and I looked at her, and I looked out at her sweet, sweet face with her big, big brown eyes, and she said this with a straight look on her face, these exact words, I kid you not. She said, Daddy, I think the hardest part of your life is going to be letting go. Excuse me? Six years old. Six years old. I kind of had an idea of what she was saying in that moment, but I didn't want to feed her my own words, so I did what you do because the answer is in the question. I said, uh, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And she said, you know, Daddy, like when I get married, that's going to be really hard for you to let go of me. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> uh, are you thinking about getting married? Like, who would you marry, I said to her. And then she turned around, and there was this boy wearing an angel's hat. And she said, I don't know. This boy seems pretty nice. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> well, darling, we don't, we don't, no, we don't date angels. Dodge. She already knows Dodgers is a bad word. So we had... We had some explanation about that, and she could see the concern and the anxiety on my face, as you might have in that moment, and she says this, these exact words, uh, but don't worry, Daddy, because I think when I get married, we'll still live with you so that we can save money for a while. <laughs> wow. So she's got it all planned out. She's going to be a boomerang child. She's got the whole thing. You know, I'm going to live with you for a while, save some money. We're going to, everything's going to be cool. Isn't that crazy? So pray for me. I need help. She's six going on 16. That's what's happening with that one. Very smart, very aware. Uh, but in that moment, after we had some interesting conversations, I immediately documented the whole conversation because that's making the father of the bride speech for, speech for sure at some point. Um, but as I'm thinking about it, right, there, there's so much truth in that. There's so much truth for that in my own life that the hardest part for our lives is letting go of things letting go of things that we think that we can control, letting go of people that we think that we can control, letting go of past hurts and disappointments that we think define us, that we can't actually be this, we can't do this because of what happened. Maybe even letting go of our doubt to believe that actually God can rescue, that he can do a miraculous thing. Letting go of our resources to be generous, to serve others. Letting go of our preconceived notions of what our life is meant to be, of what God is supposed to be. And here's the truth is we can't control. It's not ours. Everything that we have is a gracious gift that's given to us from our Heavenly Father. And what is our response in that? Our response is always worship. And what does worship look like? Worship looks like you're God and I am not. 
as I see you, as I look to you, as you reveal to me who you are, all I can do is then respond of the overflow of my heart with gratitude and with thanksgiving. I may not know. I may not understand. I may be stuck in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm, but still my response will be worship. Thank you, Lord. I will release my control because you are a God who was worthy. That's right. You are a God who was worthy. And because you are worthy, because you are good, because you are God and I am not, I will not fear. I will not be afraid because your mighty, right, victorious hand will save me. He will save me. Amen. Amen. What I'd love for us to do today as we're kind of coming to a land here is I want us to spend some time in, in worship. I want us to spend some time responding to who God is, even, even in prayers. As Caleb comes and he's going to, yeah, you're gonna, you'll, you'll be fine. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Uh, what I'd love for us to do is just take a few moments as we're coming to a close here and uh, simply just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to be with us, <clears throat> to minister to us. Uh, the truth is, is that we know that the Holy Spirit is with us always, right? That's right? That we don't have to beg for him to be here, but that he's always here. But what we also know is there are moments when he wants to show up in unique ways uh, to minister a fresh outpouring of his spirit, to comfort us, to heal us, to care for us. And I just believe that God wants to do that today through His Spirit. That He wants to minister life. That He wants to heal. That He wants to comfort and He wants to restore. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Why don't we stand together?